we did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. Hi, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Stories of the Supernatural. Whether you're watching a video or listening to a podcast version, please like and subscribe to us so that you can get notification of when a new show is released. Links to videos or MP3 files can be found at MiamiGhostChronicles.com. You can also find information about my talk show appearances and any new book projects at MarlenePardo.com. Or go to Amazon and look up my author profile as Marlene Pardo Pelliser. I narrate several podcast series that can be found on major podcast platforms and also listen to via Alexa, Sonos, and other home systems. Look for Supernatural Storytime for scary storytelling, Nightshade Diary for classic horror and adventure stories, and of course, Stories of the Supernatural for interviews with different guests as we talk about the mysteries of the unexplained. If you want to get noteworthy news about the paranormal world, true crime, conspiracy theories, and just about anything that is plain weird, you can visit Stranger Than Fiction Stories tab at MiamiGhostChronicles.com. I want to thank you for being part of my audience, and I think you are all wonderful. Hi everybody, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles, Stories of the Supernatural. And this version that you're hearing is for my podcast listeners because those of you who are watched the YouTube video will have seen me driving on uh, through a town in Central Florida called Sanford. And I was going down a street called Celery Avenue. Now the reason why I went through the street was because there's a ghost story supposedly attached to this avenue having to do with a ghost horse. However, I must have picked the most unspooky time to do it because it's in the middle of this beautiful sunny afternoon. But anyway, let me tell you a little bit about what is the ghost story attached to this avenue. Like I said, it's called Celery Avenue because it was lined with celery fields back when Sanford was called the Celery Capital of the United States. Witnesses say a translucent phantom horse can be seen galloping up and down the street. It has been seen galloping alongside traveling cars and then it simply vanishes. It is sometimes written by a Native American warrior. So the story goes long ago, a blacksmith by the name of Sly Ernest was the owner of this very big 22 hand horse. When the horse died, the only way to haul the body to its burial pit located beside Celery Avenue was by dragging it with a tractor. Now, um, 
since Celery Avenue has long since been widened, the grave was paved over. Now, people in those parts say that this is what made the horse's spirit restless. And, of course, there's also the matter of Celery Avenue running through ancient Native American burial grounds, which may be why the ghost sometimes teams up with the fellow spirit rider. Now, it does make sense that when a animal, especially something as large as a horse, died, the, let's say the owner in this case, would take it to the closest spot, maybe where it made a pit. Back then, there was no animal carcass removal service, especially for a farmer who, I imagine most farmers understand that you're going to have farm animals die. Uh, I tried looking up to see any reference in older newspapers. I imagine if there was tractors around that time, but of course, this was not a noteworthy story, animal drops dead, farmer buries it, who cares? And like I said, I drove through there, nothing happened, nothing was seen, but again, I, I chose the most unlikely time of having seen. As to the burial grounds, again, it's hard to say. I, I still don't know, was there ever any type of artifacts found there to indicate that this was a burial ground for Native Americans? Again, I couldn't find any reference to it. But, so, let's not lose the spirit of the story, no pun intended. I decided to find some spooky stories that have a horse in there running around just to stir things up. So, dim the lights and listen up. Story number one. So, I'll start from the beginning, sort of. The true beginning of what started ten years ago, way back. And it's easier if I explain when I start when I was 22 years old. Ten years before we moved in next door to my father, after he'd put a mobile home on the property for us. A nice one too. Not one of those nasty beat up mobile homes that you see in trailer parks further out into the country. We're pretty far out into the country as it is. About 45 minutes from the nearest Walmart. So out here you see a lot of those older beat up trailers. We would be my ex-husband, myself, and our three-month-old son. I'm changing names for obvious reasons. As for my ex, we'll just call him the asshole whenever we talk about him nowadays, and he's honestly not important to my story in the least. I divorced his sorry ass when my son Alan was about 18 months old, and the story behind it is pretty horrible on its own. But that story isn't important to this story either. The noises started right away after moving in. Noises that sounded sort of like footsteps that were on carpet, but too far away to be inside of the house. It was almost like I was hearing them on the TV, only I'm not much of a TV watcher, and whenever I'd leave my office to check, I'd find the baby asleep, the TV off, and the baby monitor silent. Sometimes I'd hear knocking on the walls, but it was usually those faraway footsteps that would drag me away from whatever I was doing on the computer at 2 or 3 in the morning. I chalked it up to the house settling since the property had just been graded and the house placed on it not a week before we'd moved in. No big deal, right? For a time, it wasn't. Until I realized that there was a pattern to the noises that I heard every day 
especially at night. They only occurred whenever the asshole was at home. I noticed an even bigger pattern as the days turned into weeks. They usually only occurred whenever I forgot to lock the door. And I'm about to tell you the story of how I figured that out. Now, some of you might think I'm 20 different kinds of retarded for not locking my door at night when I'm home alone with a baby that can't even talk. But you have to understand just how far out in the middle of nowhere we are and how everyone in this area watches out for each other. My dad lives 50 yards from me and anyone pulling into the long driveway will catch his attention. He's nosy. But there are definitely advantages to that and he'll call me the moment someone pulls in that he doesn't recognize. He's also a night owl like me. So if anyone turned into our driveway that late at night, he'd not only be on the phone with me, he'd be on the porch with his rifle loaded and ready. That said, we're pretty safe out here unless you're counting Jehovah's Witnesses that have to repeatedly get told that I'm Catholic and not interested. My only other close neighbor is across the street, about a half mile back off the road. And over the years, he's come running if he's seen ambulance lights pull into our drive in the middle of the night, especially since Daddy got really sick back in 2013-2012. Yeah, we're pretty isolated. I know, but that's how we like it. Back to the story. Yeah, I have a horrible habit of not locking my door at night because it really isn't necessary out here. Growing up next door, we rarely locked the door. And after moving back out to the farm, I slipped back into the habit of not doing it. I linked that to the noises after a few weeks, late at night, while Alan was asleep. And the asshole was working third shift over an hour away. The noises didn't start right away that night, though. Oh no, not at first. First, felt like I was being watched. As I shivered and feigned a lack of total and utter fear, I sat in my computer chair and debated whether or not to turn around. I decided not to and continued to write, working on a paper for class or a story. I honestly can't remember which it was since I switched back and forth a lot, only for the goosebumps on my arms to rise as my paranoia intensified. Have you ever felt what I'm describing? You know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that there is no one there, no one behind you, but every instinct in your body is screaming at you that someone is standing in the hallway door and boring their eyes into the back of your head. It was that feeling. It was real. Very, very real. And finally, when I couldn't take it anymore and I stopped typing, I trembled in my seat and prepared to look the devil in the eye. No surprise. There wasn't a soul in that doorway. I could still feel them, though. Whoever it was, I got a distinct feeling that they were still there watching me, taking my measure as I uttered a Hail Mary for the first time in a long time, probably for the first time since we lived in Ohio when I was 11 or 12. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. The feeling didn't go away. But I took some strength from the prayer as I tried to remember it and surprisingly managed to do so. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus Christ. Thunk. I was so terrified by that sound that my prayer was halted by the sound of my short, quiet scream. 
It would have been louder, but in my fear my throat had closed, and it honestly sounded pitiful, even to my own ears. It had been a footstep that had interrupted me, a footstep just outside the door of the little office the ex and I had put into the middle bedroom of our mobile home. Whoever was outside of my office door was wearing boots. Holy mother of God, thunk. Another footstep made me jump in my chair. I'm not a crier by any means, but I had genuine fucking tears in my eyes as I tried to find my voice again. It was still there, still watching me, and I got the feeling that it was mildly amused. The thought of whatever it was being amused at the sight of me crying like a bitch pissed me off, just enough to speak again. Pray for sinners now and at the hour of our deaths. Thunk, 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 thunk. It was moving away from me, down the hall towards the front door. Thunk, thunk. It stopped in front of the door, and just when I was summoning my courage to run out of the room and make a left down the hall to grab the baby, I heard one last noise. Whump. It wasn't a footstep. It was the sound of a fist slamming into the cheap-ass front door of my trailer. I don't know why, and I don't know how, but despite my fear, I was suddenly angry. I was beyond angry. I was fucking furious. The sound of someone punching my door put the image in my head of a hole in the cheap pseudo-plastic, and I could only seem to think about how much it would cost to replace it, never mind explaining to my dad how it had gotten there. He'd probably think I was crazy, just like he thought my mother and I were crazy during the incidents when we lived in Ohio and I was not going to be forced to listen to the old man talking shit about the dark man as if it hadn't been the most terrifying experience in my fucking life. At least it was until I was 25 anyway. I'll get to that eventually. If y'all really want to hear about Springfield, I'll get to that someday too. I'll be damned if I write about it at night though. Back to my anger. I leapt from the chair and stomped into the hallway, turning to the right as I glared daggered at the empty air in front of my door. My untouched, perfectly intact door, which I didn't notice at first because I hate, hate, hate it when people slam anything as if they're five and having a hissy fit. Whoever you are, whatever you are, you slam one more fucking thing in my house and I'll make you sorry. You understand me? This is my house not yours. Now fucking behave or get the fuck out. By the end of my little rant, I was shaking in a combination of lingering rage and renewing fear. The feeling of being watched was back, but like the moment in which I turned in my chair to look at the empty doorway of my office, I felt it sizing me up again, taking my measure, maybe even deciding about something. Fuck if I know. I just know it was studying me and my imagination was running wild as I stood frozen in the hallway. It could have been building a better mousetrap for all, all I fucking know. Then another sound drew my eyes, and I shivered in place, my knees weak. As I watched the doorknob turn a quarter to the left, halfway to the right, then a quarter back to where it would normally rest. Click, click, click. All of my anger was gone in that moment. I'd like to say that I summoned up my previous rage and scream my head off at this thing, but in truth, I ran. I ran like a bitch. I ran backwards, too, in that awkward jog 
that we all know so well, unable and unwilling to take my eyes off the front door for so much as a second. And when I jogged in reverse past Alan's nursery door, I flipped on the light and swung it shut and locked it. My baby was sleeping soundly in his crib, as if nothing had happened, and I took comfort in gently extracting him from the bed and rocking him for about 30 minutes, nursing him when he woke a little. I looked out the window the entire time, but the sight of the woods and the decrepit old barn only 10 feet from the house spooked the hell out of me. Growing up, I loved the woods, loved to play in them, loved to simply look at them, but tonight they just unnerved me. I have stories about the woods too, only a couple that are scary. I'll tell you those later on too, if anyone wants to hear them. After I nursed Alan and put him back in his crib, I summoned all of my courage to unlock the door and peer out into the hallway. I found the hallway light on. It had been off when I ducked into the nursery in my terror. My office light was off too. That had definitely been on beforehand, no doubt about it. Motherfucker, I muttered to myself as I tiptoed down the hall, every muscle tight and poised to propel me backwards into the relative safety of the nursery once more. Nothing happened, though, at least not until I checked out the front door and my fingers hesitated on the lock before turning it in place. I had about a whole second before knocks sounded to my right, ripping another of those quiet screams from me and sending me a couple of feet back into the air, spinning around to find nothing in the kitchen. What the fuck? I squeaked out in terror. Seriously, what the fuck? Come on, I went through enough of this freaky-ass shit in Springfield. Don't even get me started on next door. Come on, seriously, whatever the fuck it is you want, just knock, knock. Two more knocks cut me off in the middle of my terrified rant about old memories and even older houses, and it took me several moments to realize that they'd come from the back door. It hit me like a sack of fucking hammers. It wanted me to lock the fucking doors. Yatsi, motherfucker. Oh, oh, wow, holy shit. Okay, I get it. I'll, I'll lock the door. That one, I mean, I, uh, I was so scared out of my fucking drawers in that moment, but the feeling in the air was suddenly a lot lighter. Whatever this thing was, it was watching me again. But I think it approved. I'm coming. I finally managed after stealing myself for more freaky shit, trying my best to remind myself that at least this thing wasn't doing what the dark man did in Springfield, Ohio. Oh no, not by a long shot. That gave me enough comfort to get my ass into the kitchen like a good little barefoot woman but I hesitated before closing the last five feet between myself and the door. Dude, whatever you are, if you scare the shit out of me when I come over there, fuck it. I don't know what I'll do, but I'll probably involve a call to my mother and she'll bring the sage and the sweet grass or whatever it is she uses, okay? No knock, no thunk, no nothing. Just silence. I scurried to the door and locked it fast then scurried the fuck out of there and into the living room. Yep, backwards, as I'm sure you've all guessed. I'm sure you can also guess that I made sure to lock the stupid fucking doors, both of them, after that night. For a little while, anyway. Old habits are motherfucker to kill. Any of y'all ever heard of roseola? It's one of the seven rash sicknesses that little kids get. Among them are more familiar illnesses, chicken pox, German measles, 
measles in general. It's also called sick sickness, baby measles, and three-day fever. Being a new mom, I'd never heard of it before. And when Alan was about five or six months old, he suddenly spiked a really high fever late in the evening. Turns out that a fever in an adult would consider high isn't that high for a child. But seeing 104 in the thermometer scared the life out of me. Alan was eating normally, though, even if he was shivering. And he was sleeping without issues. He was sleeping in a lot, in fact, but that was to be expected since he was sick. So I forced myself to calm down and wrote a note on my computer desk to call his doctor at first light. I called my mother to double check, of course, and she confirmed that Alan would be fine, that he was a little young to come down with a flu, but as long as he was eating and drinking, he was all right, and I should let him sleep. That sleep was what he needed the most. She also advised me that I should pack him into the truck and haul him out to the emergency department if his fever hit 105 or higher, just to be safe, even though the nearest hospital is over a half hour from here. I nursed Alan at about 10 before laying him back down with a light blanket over him. I went back to my office to work on a story or homework. It was about 10.30. By 10.45, that feeling of being watched was back, and it set my hair on end. But I locked the doors, I whispered. Wait, didn't I? Yeah, y yes, I did. I distinctly remembered locking them before thinking that Bill would be happy. A simple name, yes, but I have... A fucked up sense of humor and I hadn't really heard from him in a few weeks. Yeah, that's what I named the whatever it was that was staring at me. A faint sound of footsteps in the hallway here and there. A single incident where Alan giggled in his crib after a few steps sounded quietly in his room. That was it. And yes, the footsteps in his room sent me running for his nursery, only to find him smiling up at the ceiling and cooing and playing with his feet. There had been no malevolent feeling in his room or anything, so I only nervously scooped him up and took him into the living with me since he was awake from his nap, and we played for a couple of hours before asshole woke up in the early afternoon. I hadn't felt Bill watching me since my first truly scary run-in with him, though. That night, I felt him watching me, and it scared the shit out of me again. Okay, I managed, after a full minute of staring blankly at my screen. No big deal. I turned in my spinny chair then, and no surprise, the hall was empty. He was there, though. I could totally feel it. What? Thunk, 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 thunk. Yes, the footsteps scared the bejesus out of me, just like the last time. But I'd expect some sort of response and managed to realize that those boots were headed towards Alan's nursery, not the front door. I think this was the first time it ever dawned on me that Bill wasn't a bad spirit. Was he actually worried about my baby? Ghost in the doorway or no ghost, I bolted for Alan's room, shivering at the cold spot in the doorway and immediately felt his forehead piping hot and made sure he was breathing. He was, and I sagged against the crib in utter relief before turning my head towards the door and glaring. He's fine. Good God, Bill. Please don't scare me like that. He's hot, yes, but I'm taking him to the doctor in the morning, promise. The feeling of being watched vanished, and I went back to my office, more than a little bit pleased by what had just happened. Yeah, he scared the shit out of me, but judging by the events of the last few minutes, Bill was concerned about Alan and didn't mean any harm. I take the baby to the doctor in the morning after catching a couple hours of sleep, no big deal, or so I thought. Thirty minutes later, on the dot, 
I stiffened from head to toe in my chair at that eerie as fuck feeling of being watched again. Bill, this isn't funny. I choked out as I turned to find an empty hallway that sure as hell felt like it wasn't. Thunk, 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 thunk. Alan was fine. I got up and moved fast, thinking that perhaps he'd gotten hotter or something. The cold spot in the doorway was back, and I shivered before checking the baby. He was breathing and fine. I even took his temperature again for good measure. 103 under the arm. Bill, he's fine. I was still experiencing that lingering fear that always comes with being watched by something you can't see, but I was honestly a little exasperated too. Let him sleep, okay? If he wakes up because of your stomping, I'm going to be pissed. The feeling of being watched disappeared, and I went back to my paper. At 11.45, it happened again. While a bit scared, I was getting annoyed. Bill, I feel you watching me. You're worried. I get it. But he's fine. Go away. I turned back to my paper and started writing again. But the feeling wouldn't go away. He was still there. Thunk, thunk. Two slow, deliberate steps. Just like the night of the doorknob. And I got the feeling that he wasn't too thrilled with my attitude. Especially when I felt him right the fuck behind me. Not in the doorway. Not in the hall. But right behind my chair, looming over me disapprovingly, waiting for me to get my ass up and check on my son. I stopped typing. I stared at my screen and prayed silently that he'd just go away. But Bill was dead and obviously had all the time in the world to wake me up. Back off and I'll get up. Thunk, thunk. And then as I stood up, thunk, 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 down the hallway to the nursery. Sensing a pattern yet, or is it just me? Cold spot in the doorway. Thermometer under the arm, 102.5, and the kid's breathing fine. Are we really doing this to this very 30 minutes, Bill? No response. Just a sensation of him going away and leaving me alone. To wherever he goes when he's not harassing young mothers. I'm sure you can guess what happened next. 12.15. Rolled around. I was pretty ready for that invisible set of eyes boring into the back of my head. When I felt it, I huffed in annoyance and resisted the urge to bang my head on the keyboard before turning around to the empty doorway. Bill, honey, oh, you freak me out every single time, right now included. You're worse than my mama. Seriously, Alan is fine. His fever went down a little bit, and I need to finish this paper and hit the hay if I want to be up in time to call the doctor early enough to score an appointment. Thunk, 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 thunk. Seriously, are we doing this? Are we really doing this every half hour until dawn? No, we ain't. He was dead, but I'm stubborn. So I turned back around in my chair and started typing again. I wasn't surprised when I heard deliberate pissed off stomping only a couple moments later. I can only imagine Bill's thought process. If he even had one. Just before I heard thunk, 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 right back to the doorway. It probably went something like, oh, hell no, that bitch did not just ignore me. I needed to finish this paper, Bill. You ever heard of that boy that cried wolf? Click. Mother. He turned the light out in my office. Something I absolutely needed on so that I didn't wind up with a headache from staring at the computer screen. Thunk, thunk. You're a real asshole, you know that? I mumbled as I felt him breathing down my neck. My fear warring with my very real annoyance. It might have been my imagination... And it might not have been, but I swear, I felt him nudge my chair a little, and that made me jump out of my seat, turn, and stare into the room, the only light coming from my screen. Thunk. I felt that step in the soles of my feet, 
and after I noticed that he'd only taken one, I stared into the dark and sputtered as my annoyance returned, and my heartbeat slowed down again. Smart ass. He was standing there, waiting for me, probably asking, ain't you coming? As I glared at him silently, I definitely got the feeling that he was amused. Fine, lead the way. You always do, asshole. I added just as I heard the customary bootsteps out of the room and down the hall. I did the usual. Alan was fine, like every other time, and I slammed my light switch back up when I returned to my office, illuminating the room once more. Asshole, I muttered again as I went back to my paper. I couldn't keep my eyes off my clock in the corner of the screen, though. And when 12.44 came, I was already facing the door and waiting for Bill. I didn't feel him watching me, though. No. He'd found a whole new way to scare the life out of me. And I sat up straight when I heard Alan giggle in his crib over the baby monitor. Hi. The voice was low and male, and I swear to God it sounded like he chuckled the word. More sounds of Alan cooing and then a high-pitched squeal from him as I sat there completely petrified. My first thought was that it was Bill. Don't panic, it's just Bill. No big deal. But I hadn't felt him watching me. I hadn't heard the footsteps. Bill? I hate to admit it, but my voice was shaking. This, this isn't funny. I whispered as I listened to Alan coo on the monitor and I stood up from my seat. Well aware that it might not be Bill, I grabbed a large toy truck from the floor with every intention of bashing an intruder in the head with it. Then I tiptoed down the hall with a thing raised over my head. No one was in the room, but it was very, very cold, ice cold though, and I panicked as I rushed to the crib to find the baby asleep, sound asleep. Fuck this, I stayed as I carried Alan through the house and right to my own bed, where I laid down with him right on my chest so he wouldn't roll off the other end of the California King. It was then that I noticed that I left the office light on, its glow seeping into the living room and the kitchen, even from the hallway. Oh, forget that noise. It could burn all night for all I care. I was not going back down that hallway for all the gold and Fort Knox. Not until it was light outside anyway. Bill's an asshole. I muttered to Alan as he stirred against my chest. I didn't hear the click of the switch from three rooms away, but I shivered with wide eyes when the dim light suddenly went out down the hallway. I promptly rolled out of bed, shut my door, and locked it tight. Asshole ghost. In hindsight, I'm just glad that I hadn't had any more run-ins with the dark man, or that I didn't meet her for another three years. Yeah, if I'd met her back then, I would have packed my shit and left my father with the mortgage. The asshole and I were already having some problems by then, so he could choose to stay or follow. But that's another story for another time. I'm not writing about her, not now, not after dark. Never after dark. To speak of her is as good as calling her forth. So here's a little backstory to that story that you just heard. My parents are divorced, and at the time of Bill, my mother was living back in Ohio with one of her sisters. My mother is half Apache, and my father is white. My father's a skeptic. My mother definitely not. Not after what happened to her in Ohio. Never after that. And definitely not after taking care of her dying mother in Iowa back back many years ago. Mother's always been pretty open-minded about the supernatural as it is. 
since she grew up with a Native American father that told her all sorts of stories. He told me the same stories too, and I remember learning about the whistlers and how you never whistle outside after dark, about the owl monster eating bad children, the cuckoo and la llorona. That last one always scared the fucking daylights out of me. And even now, it still gives me the shivers. I won't even watch horror movies if I know they're going to be about La Llorona. There was also a story that I can't fully remember, something about a horse, a ghost horse, that would carry off naughty children. I don't know. I can't remember this late at night, sorry. I just can't remember everything about it. Anyway, my mother knows how to bless a house, and my grandfather did too, and passed it down. Supposedly, my great-grandfather was a medicine man and passed on his knowledge through one of his daughters. Over the years, I've learned it as well, especially after my first few run-ins with her. A lot of good it did, too. If anything, she even got worse. Yeah, no, not talking about her yet, sorry. We'll get there when it's daylight. Outside, my husband and kids are running around the house and making lots of noise. Talking about her at night is something I ain't doing. This story, though, is about Springfield and the Dark Man. My sister Sissy and I were two and four when we moved into the house in Ohio, a small, unassuming, single-story ranch house in the middle of nowhere, but still close enough to Route 4 in town, at least from what I can remember. We had a huge fenced-in yard, too. Two whole acres now, living on a 50-acre farm that doesn't seem big at all. But when you're four... It's huge. We made friends right away with some siblings in an apartment complex about a half mile away. And since this was back in the 80s, my mother didn't care about us hopping the fence and running over to play with them by the time I was five. As long as we were back before dark, it was all good. I don't remember if the incidents with the dark man started right away or not. It was over a quarter of a century ago, so forgive me if I can't recall certain details. A lot of details do stand out, though. The sounds of crashing dishes in the kitchen, stomping in the hallway, furniture shifting in the living room. Sissy and I thought our mother had lost it a little and constantly giggled about how Mommy was moving furniture again. Oh no, Mommy was mad. She's breaking plates again too. It wasn't until Sissy and I came out of our room, just that plates started smashing, that we realized it wasn't our mother. No, Mommy was asleep in her room and we could see her lying there. For a few moments anyway until she bolted out of the bed with wide terrified eyes and darted down the hallway through the living room and turned into the kitchen. We followed her. Not a dish was out of place. Or so we thought anyway. Mom was shaking as she went to the drawers and opened them. Swore loudly then stated that he had moved everything again. We only understood when we stood on tiptoes and looked into the silverware drawer to find that it was full of washcloths instead. Not a word of this to your father, girls, okay? I tried to tell him, but he thinks I'm crazy, Mom said softly. We both nodded sagely, well aware that Daddy never put much stock in ghosts or things that couldn't be explained. We were little and creeped out, but that sort of thing just doesn't seem to faze little kids, you know? It didn't for a while, at least. Not until Sissy started climbing into bed with my parents, or me, crying about the dark man in the window. She described him as a man-shaped shadow that stood at her window, not outside, but inside. He would stand there and watch her, and even though Sissy couldn't see his face, she knew he was watching her. 
She would duck under her covers and lay there for a while, too terrified to get out of bed. And on multiple occasions, she would be too scared to get up to go to the bathroom and would pee herself. The only break Sissy got from the dark man was when her kidneys shit the bed and she wound up in the hospital for months on dialysis. She's better now, and her kidneys regained function, but I remember her coming home from the hospital and asking me, He's not still here, is he? Unfortunately, I had to reply yes, since the living room furniture version of musical chairs had only gotten worse, as well as the crashing in the kitchen on a near-daily basis. No point in lying, right? She was going to see him that night anyway, whether or not I told the truth. And like clockwork, she came in and slept with me that night. The very first time Sissy actually told our dad about him, Daddy leapt out of bed and shouted loud enough to wake everyone in the room, grabbed his rifle, and made for the front door. He rightfully assumed that someone was standing in the window watching his daughter, but he didn't hear us when we both tried to tell him that it wasn't some sicko, that it was the dark man, and he was in the house. To my sister, my own mutual surprise, though, there were footprints in the snow outside of the window. It had snowed a good foot or two during the day, and the footprints were there, crystal clear, big as life. Only problem, though, it was a single set, and there was no one there. There was no trail leading around the house, or back out to the road or the driveway, neither forward or backwards, no marks whatsoever of someone coming or going. Daddy was more baffled than anything, but I could tell he was having a hard time keeping his shit together as he exchanged a long look with my mother before she jerked her thumb over her shoulder towards the kitchen. Told you so, she stated before going back to bed. She didn't even look smug as she said it. She looked just as disturbed as my father did. After that, Daddy had me sleep with Sissy almost every night and even bought and put a double bed in her room so we could share. Unfortunately for me, Sissy was, and still is, a snuggler. And on top of it all, she was all knees and elbows. Unfortunately for her, I was a nasty bitch even at five. Whenever I was woken up, especially the sensation of bony knees being shoved in my ass. So yeah, she'd get shoved into the floor some nights. But once I was awake and not so cranky, I'd recognize that it was better for us to sleep together since the dark man only came when one of us was alone. I'd seen and felt what he was about, and I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy, not even on an annoying baby sister. Yeah, I saw him at least once that I remember. On one of the nights that Sissy was sick, I slept in a room because I missed her, sparing only a fleeting thought for the dark man. After all, he only ever seemed to bother Sissy and never me, so I was probably immune or whatever, so I slept in a room. I was awoken about an hour later by a sensation of being watched. And when I rolled over to look around, I saw him. He was tall, impossibly tall. My father is one of the tallest men I know, but this man was taller than daddy. That didn't scare me though. What scared me senseless was the fact that there was very little light in the room. It was near pitch, but the dark man was darker than the dark itself. He was darkness itself. And the feeling rolling off of him was a feeling of furious violence. He wanted me dead. I was sure of it. For whatever reason, I don't know. But I was frozen in place as he loomed over me, my eyes wide in terror, and my bladder letting go when his face came down until it was only an inch from mine. I could even smell him. 
and I was too scared to even cry as I scented death. Not even semi-fresh, nasty death either. It was a cold death that I smelled, musty and icy, the scent of rot just beneath it, cold. He was so, so cold, and I knew that he wanted nothing more than to share that with me. The light in the hallway came on then, and the dark man seemed to turn his faceless face towards it. It was the chance I needed, and I rolled to my right towards the door and sprinted to my father without looking back, positive that the dark man would be behind me, coming to share the cold. Wet nightgown and all, I leapt on Daddy in a sobbing heap. He chalked it up as a nightmare after checking the bedroom that I absolutely refused to enter again. But my mother gave me an understanding look after she was drawn by my hysterical screaming into the hallway. After a quick bath and fresh clothes, she slept with me in my room on the pulled-out trundle bed, just as she did when I was sick. The dark man didn't come for me in my own room, so I stayed there until Sissy got out of the hospital. I didn't even go in her room during the day to get a toy unless my mother went with me. When Sissy got home and we started sharing her bed, things only escalated in the kitchen and the living room as the months went by. Dishes crashed daily. My father commented frequently on how often my mother allegedly moved the furniture. Never mind that my mother was only 100 pounds and 5 foot 1, and there's no way in hell she'd be able to move that giant TV by herself. One of those old 80s floor units. Never mind that the couch was so heavy that Daddy had to help her just to get into the opposite wall. When I was about seven or eight, my mother had had enough. Due to my father's job, we typically moved every two years, but we'd been in this house of horrors for three or four. Poor mom, if only she knew that we'd lived there until I was ten. She'd never leave or anything, though. She lost her temper, much like how I sassed Bill during the first night I met him, only with a lot more profanity. Mom rarely swore in front of us when we were little, and the sound of her repeatedly yelling some f shouts at the living room was what drew Sissy and me out of our bedroom, eyes wide in surprise. We'd probably never heard the F-bomb before, and we were probably in awe of it, and I remember that Mom was so mad she was shaking. At least, that's what I thought. In reality, she was terrified. Absolutely terrified. He'd moved the furniture again, shifting it around, so that the couch was where the love seat normally sat. The love seat was where the couch was, and that giant, effing, ungodly, heavy floor TV was in the middle of the room. The chairs and the ottomans on the back side of the living room had been swapped. Mom went out for a good couple of minutes at full blast, and the moment she stopped, the usual shit in the kitchen began. All three of us let out screams, but Mom was always stupidly brave and darted into the kitchen while Sissy and I ducked back into our room. I got called out several minutes later, my mom's voice trembling in a deafening silence of the house once the dishes stopped crashing. C- can you, can you? I'd already poked my head out of the door, terrified to hear my mother sounding so weak. She was sheet white, her hand shaking as she stood in the hallway and pointed towards the room. Please, tell me I'm not crazy. I came to her slowly, and when I peeked my head around the end of the hallway, I felt the blood rush from my face. Every stick of furniture in the living room was stacked in the center. The love seat on top of the couch, the chairs on top of that with the ottomans resting on the couch's armrest, and on the tip top of the pot was that ridiculously heavy TV. 
the TV that three grown men struggled to move, and the dark man had plucked it up and set it on top of a thousand pounds of furniture in a span of a minute. Go get my purse, Mom finally whispered. Get Sissy dressed and both of you get your shoes on. I'll watch it. He doesn't move it when someone's watching. Daddy was working late, so we stayed at my Aunt Elle's for the day. When we returned after dark ahead of my father by about ten minutes, we found every single light in the house burning. And when Daddy got home, he just stared at the mountain of furniture in the middle of the living room. How did you? I didn't do it, my mother hissed out as she looked around her in paranoia. Think about it. There's no possible way someone my size could have done that. That ghost thing again, huh? Daddy asked. I noticed there was only a hint of doubt this time. Not his usual full-blown skepticism. Shit. Okay, you and the girls go eat dinner. I'll call Turk and Owen. Unless you think he feels like moving it all back. F you and the horse you rode in on if you think for a second that I'm talking to it ever again. I want out of this house. Put in for a transfer. I don't care where. Even Florida's better than this. Turk and Owen came over and helped Daddy move the furniture. And he put in for a transfer with his boss not long after that. Unfortunately for us, he didn't get one until he got promoted when I was 10. In the meantime, Mama moved in. We turned a detachable garage into a little house with a kitchen, living room, bedroom, and walk-in closet. Mama and I were very, very close. And she says that when I was three, I would talk to Papa on my play school phone. Her and Aunt Jenny would stand at the doorway and listen and cry because Papa had died only a few months beforehand. And after I started asking Mama about things that I shouldn't have known anything about and relaying messages to her from Papa that included a pet name he used to call her, Mama couldn't listen anymore. I think she might have thrown the phone away because I don't remember ever playing with it. Lucky for Mama, her little house behind ours wasn't haunted. But she got the bejesus scared out of her one night when my parents went out for dinner and the drive-in. Sissy and I were asleep in Mom and Dad's waterbed, but the lights in the house kept coming on and turning off, moving from one end of the house to the other, as if someone was walking through it. The only light that wasn't disturbed was a light in our parents' bedroom. Mama came over multiple times to check on us, assuming at first that Sissy and I were awake and playing, but we were sound asleep, dead to the world. My grandma was freaked out, needless to say, and when Daddy called the house from a payphone to check on us, she told them what was going on. I reckon Daddy just blew her off since they didn't get home until 2 in the morning, but when they got home, every light was on, except for the one in the master bedroom, where my mother had hung a cross above the door jamb only a couple of weeks before. She hung crosses over hours after that, but the first night Sissy slept alone, she saw the dark man again and ran to sleep with Mom and Dad. I resumed sleeping with Sissy after one night of blissful, no knees in my ass slumber, and she didn't see the dark man again until I was hospitalized with pneumonia. Yeah, she slept with my parents every night until I got better and came home just after Christmas that year. Mom got the priest from our church to bless the house, but it didn't do a bit of good. If anything, I think it pissed him off even more, and the crashing in the kitchen continued, as well as the furniture games. We finally moved when I was 10, and I'd never seen Mom so happy to be stuck packing everything we owned while Daddy worked. For years, my sister Sissy avoids the subject. Sometimes she's even denied it ever happened, but I can tell by the fear in her eyes that she remembers it. 
I can't really blame her. According to our Apache grandfather, Sissy's very sensitive to the other world. You're more sensitive than me or our mother. That we only have flashlights, and while we might hear and sense things, Sissy has a floodlight and sees things far more often than we ever will. I have to admit that I'm grateful for that as an adult, especially after some of my experiences after moving out at 17. One thing that makes me shiver, though, even now in broad daylight, if I saw things as brightly as Sissy saw them, just what would I have seen? Sometimes I wonder, but when it all boils down, I don't want to know. I don't want to see. Not like that. With MailChimp, you get a whole lot more than a URL. You get an all-in-one marketing platform to help drive sales. That means you can connect your data to make more informed, smarter decisions. And you get powerful automation tools like our customer journey builder to ensure you never miss an opportunity to turn shoppers into loyal customers. So if you're ready to integrate your marketing and boost sales, get started today at MailChimp.com slash smart marketing. MailChimp, built for growing businesses. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network. Verizon. Best and most reliable based on root metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined. Not specific to 5G networks.